Welcome to Deeper Walks on the Trail podcast. You are on the trail with father-daughter duo Marcus and Stephanie Warner. I'm Stephanie, and I'll be talking with my father, Dr. Marcus Warner, as we discuss topics that help you stay on the trail to a deeper walk with God. Welcome to episode nine. In the third part of our fish series, we're looking at the H of our fish acrostic, heart-focused community. Greetings, father. Greetings, daughter. It's, How are you today? I'm doing all right. I was like complaining about being tired, but honestly, it's like Friday afternoon as we're doing this. Mm-hmm. It's been a long week, you know, but I am excited because I think in a little bit here, we're going to go to the lake. We're going to, we're up in Michigan. We're going to go over to Lake Huron and I always get energized when I see the big water. Mm-hmm. That's where you wrote most of Rare Leadership, isn't it? It is. I was at a coffee shop there in Lexington, Michigan, and uh, I still like to go back there and write when I get the chance. I love looking at, uh, you know, like I said, the big water. I love looking across water I can't see the other side of, and it's a, a great atmosphere. Yeah, I could do that all day. Oh, I'm so excited. You and Captain America. <laughs> <laughs> Good one. Yeah. Well, yeah. today we're talking about heart-focused community. Too many of us don't think of relational joy when we think of discipleship. We think of discipline, maybe. That's yeah. right there in the word. Um, but the heart-focused discipleship model is a growth model, and we grow best in an environment of joy. Um, I'm interested in hearing some strategies for people to find or to not be stuck in an, in isolation or toxicity. Um, and I know you've really appreciated the book, The Other Half of Church by mm-hmm. Michael Hendricks and, and Jim Wilder. I think we've talked already about their analogy of comparing community to soil in previous Mm -hmm. podcasts, but um, do you want to walk us through their four key elements of the kind of enriched soil that catalyzes growth? Yeah, absolutely. I think, uh, you know, Michael Hendricks used an analogy in, in their book that jumped out at me, and it was about growing tomatoes. And he said one year he grew a tomato plant and took a lot of time and energy to make sure that it was properly nutrient dense you know i don't know it's just miracle grow what you put into that stuff i'm not a gardener but he put a bunch of this stuff in there and he got these amazing tomatoes well the next year he planted the tomatoes again but he was like short on time or something didn't do nearly what he should have done to prep the soil and you could sell it in the in the in the product right the final tomatoes that came out were nowhere near as juicy and fresh and and all the rest as the other ones and there's an analogy, the analogy he pulled out of that I thought was just spot on. And that is that most of us, if we look back in our lives to when we grew the fastest or the most in our walk with God, it was when we were in a community of friends where we felt like we were part of a group and there was a lot of joy in that group. There was a lot of uh, sense of belonging in, you know, like these are my people And uh, he himself told the story of being in a group like that, growing quickly, and then going through what he called a 20-year lull, right? Which I think on hindsight, he realized during that 20 years, he wasn't in that kind of community. He was not in those types of relationships. They didn't have that kind of belonging. And I think most of us can relate to that, that that if we look back to when was my favorite time to be a Christian, right? When was it the most energizing to be a Christian? It was when I was part of a people or a group, and there was just a lot of energy in being a part of that people. And that's what we want to talk about here. So I think you specifically asked me what the four elements of their soil, right? So I got off on that. But uh, so here's the four elements. Uh, The first one is joy, 
right? And it's this idea that I enjoy being with people. And one of the ways that you know that you are enjoying being with your group is that you spend time together outside of the assigned times to be together. So like if I'm in a small group and the only time I ever see them is on small group night um, versus groups I've been a part of where some of us would get together to play volleyball or some of us would get together to go shopping or some of us would get together for something else. If you find you have to find yourself spending time with people outside of group time, that means that I enjoy being with these people. There's an element of joy involved in that community. So that's the first, uh, the first part of it. In fact, I was just talking to um, a friend down in Texas who just did his doctor of ministry uh, on the idea of joy in discipleship. And he was trying to measure do people grow faster when there is joy as part of their discipleship journey than they do when there's not? And he came to the conclusion, absolutely, people grow faster when there's joy. Uh, joy fertilizer. Yep, when there is joy fertilizer, people, uh, it's a catalyst to our growth. So that's the first core element. The second one is, uh, you'll like this because you've been, it's been taking Hebrew, right? It's the uh, Hebrew word chesed, which I thought was interesting. So chesed, I got I to gotta put a little caveat here. So that there are two Hebrew letters for H, right? One of them is soft, like and the other one is rough, like right? Like the back of your throat, guttural. So most people like to say the second one, you know, that's just more fun. But the uh but to to distinguish those when you write them into English, the first one is usually just an H, and the second one is either an H with a dot under it, or it's a CH, which is confusing because we don't say for CH, we say ch. And so it's just confusing. So you'll sometimes see Chesed written H-E-S-E-D and sometimes C-H-E-S-E-D, just for those people who are like, you know, it bothers them that this is, you know, I just want to make sure that people know I understand my Hebrew. We didn't misspell this word. You know, I know what, what's going on. So the, uh, <laughs> uh, but Chesed is a fascinating word. It's probably the definitive word of the character of God. And when the Old Testament wants to define who God is and what his character is like, chesed is the go-to word. And it has been translated a variety of different ways. But the way I would explain it is this. It is this sense that because you are my people, I'm going to do good to you. I can almost hear the Godfather, because you're one of us. You know, <laughs> you know I'll, I'll take care of my own. You know what I'm saying? Oh, so. <laughs> Now, I don't think that that's core to God's character. He's not, you know, Don Coleon. But he is a, uh, but what happens though is there's a element, uh, how is it? There's an echo of it, even in that. And it's this idea that says, well, because you're my daughter, there are good things I will do for you that I wouldn't do for just anybody. And so the first time that we see chesed in the Bibles in Genesis, and it's where Abraham's servant is negotiating to have Rebecca come marry Isaac. And once Rebecca has essentially, you know, there it, the question is on the table and he says, so are you going to show me chesed or not? Right. When his point here is, are you, you know, a good family would say, yes, you know, that's what we do for each other. And so there's this chesed idea. So the idea of finding God is that he takes care of his people. You can count on him. You can trust him. Uh, that he has, and it's an attachment-based word because we have this attachment, because we have this bond. And what's interesting is God is often bonded to us more deeply than we are bonded to him. 
And but he still treats us out of his attachment love. So you might define chesed as attachment love. Now we take this and we circle back to it as a quality of a small group or, or, or my people. And what we're talking about is a highly bonded people. We're talking about people who really are, um, they have a, a deep bond with each other. Well, how do you form deep bonds with people? You have to have two key ingredients. You have to have empathy, uh, vulnerability and empathy. So if I'm vulnerable with you, but that vulnerability is not met with empathy, then I'm not going to be vulnerable anymore. And uh, on the other hand, uh, I can invite people to be vulnerable, but I'm never vulnerable myself. That doesn't work either. So, so what happens is that groups bond as they are vulnerable with their weaknesses, and those weaknesses are treated gently and like protectors. If I am... Uh, the other thing that grows bonding is going through hard things together and getting through on the other side, right? And so you're like, ah, oh, yeah, I remember when we all had to face this. Or it could be as simple as we had final exams and yay, we made it through, right? <laughs> to uh, it can be little things. It doesn't have to be we we fought World War II together, right? It can be uh, anything on that scale. But you can know how bonded military units are because they do hard things together and they overcome things together and it, it just does something to bond you. So they it's build the, trust. And you build trust, right? So there's this. That's chesed, right? Chesed is that we are tightly attached together. Um, yeah, I heard the motorcycle too. So we have a. Uh, <laughs> that's all right. We'll get by. The. Uh, uh, that's the idea of chesed is that we do good to each other because we know that we belong. Um, the next uh, core element is group identity. And what comes out of the belonging is identity. So in the book that I wrote with Jim Wilder is called Solution of Choice, where we talk about this model that says belonging plus identity. It's also in rare leadership. That belonging plus identity uh, equals transformation. And so the idea here is that if I'm in a group where I know I belong, and I'm thinking if, if you were going to have a substitute word for chesed, it would probably be belonging. So joy, belonging, identity. I know who I am because I know who my people are. And so my people are the sort of people who handle problems this way. My people are the sort of people who treat weakness this way, right? My people are the sort of people who treat our enemies this way, right? So all of these statements about who are my people and how is it like us to act are identity statements. So a group identity is this idea that, all right, we have joy in being together. There's a sense of belonging with each other. I know these are my people. And coming out of that, it's a clear set of values and a clear set of it's like us to do this. It's just who we are. It's what we do. And uh, and then the last one, the fourth element, there is um, shame, but it is uh, healthy shame. Now, for some people, that's an oxymoron, right, because they think all shame is toxic. Uh, but one of the things uh, in talking to Dr. Wilder, I heard him say about this was that um, the right side of your brain, when we experience shame, it's more of a reactionary thing. It's not until it gets to the left side of our brain that when we attach a narrative to it, that it becomes toxic. So it depends on the narrative that is attached to our shame, whether or not it's toxic. And in this case, what we're saying is that in a healthy community, in a heart-focused community, I need to be able to say hard things to you, you need to be able to say hard things to me. Right? It's not enough for us just to be happy all the happy all the time. 
is a happiness that can get through hard things together, but it's also a, a joyful connection that is, we have a strong enough relationship for me to tell you hard things. So one of the tools that we use for this and that we explain in Rare Leadership is the envelope conversation of make the relationship more important than the problem. Start with your relational history, explain the, the problem, and state your hope for a positive relational future. So let's keep the relationship bigger than the problem. That's the essence of we have to have a group that knows how to deliver a healthy shame message. And uh, the definition of a healthy shame message is one that keeps the relationship bigger than the problem. So those are the four core characteristics uh, as uh, I understand them, as they were taught in uh, uh, Michael Hendricks and Jim Wilder's book, uh, The Other Half of Church. Yeah. Let's, let's camp out a little bit longer on this idea of weakness. Um, at the heart of building a healthy group identity is um, how we view weakness and how we treat it. Can you unpack that? Yeah. When I think of weakness and group identity, my mind immediately goes to locker rooms, probably because I played about six different sports growing up and uh, spent a lot of time in locker rooms. But you know when the leaders on a team are bullies and when the leaders on a team are protector leaders, because protector leaders, when they have weak members on the team, come around those guys and they don't let them stay weak. They do what they can to help them get better. Whereas bullies actually have a vested interest in keeping them weak. Now, they may say, I'm trying to toughen you up, but really what all the bullies interested in is making sure they stay at the top of the pecking order. So you cannot grow healthy community, right? You can't have a heart-focused community if you are brutal to weakness, right? You have only to have a heart-focused community, you have to be gentle with weakness. So I think, for example, using same with the locker room idea. When I was in college, um, I love basketball, play basketball my whole life, but they had a requirement at uh, this college that you had to run three miles in under 21 minutes before you could go inside to the gym. Ooh. Well, first of all, I almost never ran three miles consecutively in my life. You know, I was usually just a gym rat. I ran around a lot, but, you know, just going and running was not my thing. And then secondly, uh, doing it at that kind of pace wasn't something I was used to. And so the first couple of times I went out, I did, I wasn't even close, right? I was running in 22, 23, 24 minutes. So the guys on the team, though, they didn't just shame me into it, but they gave me a healthy shame message. And essentially, you know, you got to do this, but we're going to help you. And so four of them said, let's go run this together. And just stay with us, right? And just, just just talk our way through. Let's just run it together. Don't even think about the time. Let's just hang out while we run. Let's get through it. I ran it in 18 minutes, right? I was like, I was, <laughs> it literally knocked five minutes off of my time because I was doing it relationally with them, wasn't thinking about what I was doing. And so they met my weakness with gentleness, but not in a way that just said, well, that's all right. If you're weak, you just stay that way. It was a way that, that helped me grow and get better, not stay in that condition. That is a beautiful example. It can definitely be overwhelming to look at where you want to be and then realize where you are and how far you have to go. Yep. I know for me, sometimes it feels like there's this glass ceiling uh, where I can see clearly where I want to be or what skills I want to have. And I just, I've reached the end of myself. I, yeah. I can't get there in my own strength and it's frustrating, but it's okay. And we're not supposed to do things in our own strength. Part of this journey is, is learning to show grace to yourself. 
Yeah, well, you know, somebody who's completely made it and never <laughs> doesn't have any gaps left, you know, I can't really relate to what you're saying. Yeah, yeah, <laughs> No, yeah, yeah, you get the idea. It's well, like, no, we've all got those gaps, right? And we all have days where, like, I don't even know if this works, right? Yeah. And I have so many friends, you know, I've been in seminary right now doing doing seminary and, and work and trying to balance lots of things. And sometimes I have friends who just look at me and be like, what, you're human? Yeah, exactly. <laughs> you know, realistic expectations. And above all, we just, we need to seek the Lord and he is so good and able and he cares and he knows what we need when we need it. Yeah. So all that to say, um, what are some strategies for people to start where they are? You know, it's okay that you don't just, oh, now I know the yeah. answers and I will be right. perfect or find the perfect community. What are what are some strategies? Well, I do think that when we come to strategies, it's where it helps to have a sense of where I'm at in my maturity development. Because, you know, Life Model likes to talk about infant, child, adult, parent, and elder level maturity. If you think about it in those cases, an infant can't do anything for themselves. So they kind of need somebody to invite them into a group, you know, create the group, invite them in and get this thing started. And that's okay. So some of us are places where I'm isolated. I've been living in isolation. I just, I wish somebody would, you know, create this for me. Well, part of the maturity process is taking the next step to create something for yourself and not wait for somebody to do this for you. So I would say that part of your growth journey is going to be um, finding ways to build a little bit of joy into every relationship that you have. And looking for ways to, uh, we put it this way, you want to be the sort of person who, when people see you coming, they go, my problems are about to get smaller, <laughs> not my problems are about to get bigger. And so one of the things that some of us that, you know, if we're stuck at infant level maturity, we, we have trouble with is that we show up wanting people, wanting it to be all about me and all about my problems. And so sometimes we are too quick to dump on people all of our problems instead of coming like, I want to find a way to add joy so that you leave being happy that I came and how you do that. And it's just, you know, in a way that you contribute something that uh, it, it is positive. So those are skills that we need to kind of work on and, and growing. So our next step, in some cases, it really depends on where you're at. For some people, it's going to be adding adding a little bit of joy in every every connection that they have for others it's going to be you need to go join a group even if it's not a great one just get in a group someplace and then what you want to do is add joy to the group you want to be as vulnerable as you know seems appropriate at that in that group level and make sure that you're meeting people's things with empathy so i i, I think there's there's the next steps here um for some people, if I'm like an adult, parent, or elder, I may want to start a group. And so when it comes to, to some of us, too, realizing that our group options aren't limited just to our local church, that we can think bigger than that. It's okay to have my people who are part of my local church, and that's a good thing, and I want that. But I can also, especially in this Internet age, I can have other other people, and I can make connections online. So we encourage people to consider journey groups if they can't. You know, that costs some money, but it's still a an option for people who can't find what they're looking for locally and don't know how to go about creating it yet. So those are kind of the options. I can, uh, I can just start where I'm at and try to make my relationships a little bit better. I can do something online. I can, I can join a group. I can start a group. Those are kind of the next options depending on where I'm at in my own personal journey. 
Sure. That's a long answer. There we are. Okay. <laughs> Thank you. Thank you for your in-depthness. Um, any, any final thoughts to conclude today's episode? Well, the word that keeps coming up in my mind is just catalyst, right? And that is if you want to catalyze your growth, if you want to, if you really want to see changes as you're going deeper in your walk with God, you have to have this, right? You can't just, it's like a tomato trying to grow, but it's in really lousy soil. We want to, we have to have this enriched soil. So that means I need to take some next steps. I need to find some ways to get connected because if I'm trying to do the Christian life in isolation, um, at best, it's going to be a lot of, a lot of hard work. And, uh, at worst, I'm going to just find myself discouraged and quitting. So isolation kills. We definitely want, uh, uh, to engage. And even if it takes a little bit of a sacrifice, it's a good idea to, to make sure that you, uh, participate in some type of a group activity like that. All right. Thank you, Father. Next episode, we will be looking at living in the spirit. But for now, thanks for joining us on the trail today. If you want to keep going deeper with us on your walk with God, please subscribe to the Deeper Walk podcast and share with your friends. You can find more at our website, deeperwalkinternational.org. Thanks again. We'll see you back next week.